Bible, uh, whether hard copy or on a phone or tablet, uh, to open it to the book of Matthew, to Matthew 6, as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew in this series on kingdom counterculture. Uh, today we'll be looking from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, through the end of chapter 6, verse 34. There's sermon notes in your bulletin. You can follow along, uh, fill in, and more notes up on the screen. Thank you, worship team, uh, for leading us this morning, and uh, good to be in the presence of the Lord together as we worshiped him, both uh, through song and remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So I want to take a a moment as we think about today four choices that Jesus gives to us uh, just for you to take a few moments and to make some decisions together. Um, I'm going to ask just for fun so we can engage this together. Um, You slip your hand up for whichever of these two choices you would go for. All right. So I've got a number of them and they're in the form of would you rathers. Okay. So, would you rather eat a hot pepper or sour candy? Hot peppers? Sour candies? Sour candies have it on that one. Would you rather go on vacation to the mountains or to the beach? How many mountains? How many beaches? A lot more beaches. Would you rather endure the heat of summer or the frigid cold of winter? How many summer heats? How many frigid winters? Yeah, it's close, but I think Summer has it on that one. How, would you rather watch Star Wars or Star Trek? How many Star Wars? How many Trekkies? Yeah, all right. Star Wars a little bit, but Summer, you know, 50-50 on that one. All right, would you rather eat something sweet or something salty? How many sweet tooths do we have out there? Salty? Yeah, that's about a 50-50 there. That's pretty close. Would you rather have a rat in your kitchen or a roach in your bed? How many rats? Ooh, how many roaches? All right, just a few. All right, so rats in the kitchen. Would you rather get one or get $10,000 or would you rather give away $10,000? How many get 10,000? How many giveaways? All right, all right. It's good. It's good. Would you rather lose your hearing or your sight? How many hearing? How many sight? It's a tough one. Either way, we don't want either. How many would you rather be stuck outside in a thunderstorm or in a snowstorm? Stuck outside in a thunderstorm. Stuck outside in a snowstorm. Oh, you've got some brave ones out there dodging lightning bolts. That's where the majority was. How many would you rather be stranded in the jungle or stranded in the desert? How many in the jungle? All right. How about the desert? All right. Mostly, mostly jungle people. All right. Two more. How many uh, would you rather have a unibrow, one continuous eyebrow, or no eyebrows? All right. Unibrow. No eyebrows. I'm not really know, I don't really know what to think about that one. And the last one, save the best one for last, would you rather wear used underwear or brush your teeth with a used toothbrush? All right? Uh, used underwear. <laughs> a few. Used toothbrush? 
All right, most of you, either, uh, there were some, there were a lot that didn't raise their hand for that one at all. I don't blame you. Those are fun, aren't they? Those would you rather hypothetical, you have to choose one of two options. And, And while they're hypothetical, and while hopefully you don't have to choose many of those, the choices and the questions that Jesus uh, poses to us this morning are not hypotheticals. They are everyday real world questions that will affect our everyday lives as well as our spiritual lives. You can't separate it. And here's the thing. If you choose one, you are by default not choosing the other. And if you decide not to choose, most likely you are choosing the worldly options. These are questions that Jesus gives to us, profound life decisions that will affect how we live in the kingdom of God. If we are to be kingdom counterculture people, these decisions are crucial for us. Jesus lays them out. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. The first question is this. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? The two options that Jesus gives to us is the first earthly treasure, which he says, do not. This first option are treasures on earth. Jesus says, don't store up for your treasures on earth. He said, because treasures on earth, moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. When I think of moth and rust, I think about my grandmother's closet of clothes and this overwhelming smell of mothballs. Anyone ever have those, use those? Put those in because there's those little moths, those little insects that want to eat at the fabric of clothes. And so my grandmother, to my knowledge, did not have a problem with it. I don't think she could have ever had a problem with it because she had tons of mothballs in her closet that were insecticide, basically, that put off an odor to keep the moths away. And it was one of those smells. You walked into my grandmother's bedroom and the closet could be closed, but man, you could smell the odor of those mothballs. Now, my grandmother was not a materialistic person. She was not having those mothballs because she was trying to store up treasure of clothes here on this earth. But somewhere along the line, she must have run into that problem and never got out of it, just kept them in there. Jesus says, do not store up your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. Understand, it's not wrong to have possessions. It's not wrong to save. But Jesus is speaking about the accumulation of things that become selfish. 
that become leading us to a place where we are unwilling to share with others, where we have such a deep love and affection towards the things that we have that if we were to lose them, we would be crushed. He's speaking also to the idea of possessions defining us, our treasure and our value and our worth being put into what I have or what I don't have. Jesus says in this option, first option, where is your treasure, that we have the option of earthly treasures, which he says, do not store up your earthly treasures, but rather store up treasures in heaven, heavenly treasures. These are treasures, Jesus says, that will not be destroyed by moth and rust, and we don't have to worry about thieves breaking in and stealing. These are things like the accumulation of godly character. No one can steal godly character being developed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are continually transformed from glory to glory or in ever-increasing glory, that what was lost in the garden, that we allow the Spirit of God to restore in us as we become transformed more into the image and likeness of Christ. Those are things that cannot be taken away. It will last forever in heaven. They're things like blessing others, things like looking at the possessions that we do have and how might the Lord be giving me opportunity to use them for the building of his kingdom, for the blessing of others around It's stuff like being on mission for the lost. Because eternity is always transformed when people come to Christ or come closer to Jesus. And investing in mission, investing in blessing others, investing in our own transformation, these are things that will never be lost. They are stored up for us in heaven. Now, in all of these, I want to ask this question to the question that Jesus poses, where is your treasure? And that is, why is this important? Why is it important? Is it just a don't do this and do this? No, there's a reason why Jesus speaks to it. And in verse 21, it is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not just about where our treasure is, but our treasure shows us what we value. It shows us our deepest longings. It shows us our loves. It shows us what we are willing to sacrifice for and what we hold tight. Your heart, your loves, your passions. They will either be invested here on this earth or they will be invested for the glory of heaven and for eternal treasure. So I ask you, Where is your treasure? A story is told of some Christians who were traveling in the Middle East. And as they were traveling in the Middle East, they heard about a wise, beloved, old believer. And so they went out of their way on their travels to find and to visit this old man. When they finally found him, they discovered him in this run-down small hut. And in this rundown small hut, there was a rough cot, a chair, a table, 
and a beat-up old stove that was used for heating and for cooking. These travelers were shocked as they saw this man's living condition, and after a while of some awkward, uneasy moments, one of the travelers finally blurted out, well, where is all of your furniture? The aged, wise believer gently asked this question, where is yours? The traveler thought for a moment and said, well, my furniture is at home, of course. I don't carry it with me. I'm traveling. To which the old believer said, as am I. As am I. See, that old, wise, beloved believer understood that his treasure was not in all the things of this world. His treasure was in heaven, and it impacted the way that he lived. Where is your treasure? Is it stored up here on earth, or are you seeking to store it in heaven? The second question of these four choices is where do you fix your eyes? Where do you fix your eyes? Verses 22 to 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Where do you fix your eyes? Do you fix your eyes on the things of this world? Things of the world can be sinful things that go against the ways of God, but they can also be good things, created things, things that might distract us and become our focus. It may be entertainment. It may be our treasures, our possessions. It may be the people in our lives. Who or what do we focus our eyes or our attention on? Things that we fix our eyes or attention on. These are the things that will affect our vision. And just as a person who would be blind would live in darkness, when our vision and when our our minds focus, the eyes of our hearts focus is on the things of this world, created things, Jesus says we can become spiritually blind. Just as a physically blind person lives in darkness, so we can live in spiritual darkness as well. So where do you fix your eyes? On the things of this world or on the things of God? These are the things like having your eyes, the eyes of your hearts open to God in worship and prayer. The Apostle Paul said, may the eyes of your hearts be opened to the light and the glory of Christ. Having our eyes fixed on Scripture Having our attention given to scripture, Psalm 119 tells us, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Having our eyes fixed on the word of God, having our eyes fixed on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, having our eyes opened to what God is doing around us. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. How is the Father at work around us and how can we join him will allow us to live 
in light will allow us to have our eyes open. It follows very closely to the idea of where is our treasure. Oftentimes in scripture, the heart and the eyes are linked together. What we see, what we fix our eyes upon are the things that our hearts will often be fixed upon as well. So why is this important? Verse 22 tells us it is because the eye is the lamp of the body. Just as the eyes are the lamp of the body physically, so our eyes are the lamp of our body spiritually too. Because our eyes and our hearts are connected, the things that we see often become the affections of our heart. The things that we focus on and fix our minds on often become the affections of our hearts. When I was a little kid in Sunday school, we sang a song. You may have heard it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Now, that can become a pretty legalistic kind of thing if we carry it too far, but the focus and the purpose was, what am I focusing on? What am I looking at? Where is my mind directed? Because where my eyes go, often my heart will go. And so where my eyes are fixed, the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Where our eyes go is where our mind will go and where our heart will be fixed. Where do you fix your eyes? Where is your treasure? Where do you fix your eyes? Which leads us to the third question. Who is your master? Who is your master? Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who is your master? Option one is a Semitic language term, mammon. Mammon represents all created things. But especially, and because the NIV that I use and other translations will often translate it money because it is so, money can be so representative of the bigger picture of all created things. And so while mammon or money possesses worth, the worth it possesses is of limited value. It's temporal, it's time bound, and eventually it passes away. You cannot take it with you. It's very closely connected to the idea of earthly treasure. And mammon, or money, can easily become our treasure. On the opposite side is God. Whereas mammon represents created things, God is the creator of all created things. In contrast to mammon that is temporal, that is only bound for this earth, God is eternal. No beginning and no end. He is infinite. His worth is matchless. He ultimately is our heavenly treasure. 
Who is your master? Mammon or God? Why is this important? It's important because Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. John Stott characterizes this idea as Jesus is not talking about employers. You cannot have two employers. He's talking about it in the context of slavery. You cannot have two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will despise one and love the other, one of the two. You cannot serve two masters. We might think in our Western minds that I can have two. I can have both. I can serve both. They can be my employers. Think of it this way. I need two volunteers. Let me, I'm going to have two equally tall guys. So let me have Drew and Ryan. Come on up here. You've just been voluntold. All right. All right. So imagine... Ryan, come on over on the side. All right, so imagine with me for a moment. After my singing debut there a few moments ago, be careful little eyes, I'm deciding that I'm going into the music business. You think I got a shot at it? So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to give you time to answer that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Nashville because Nashville is the music capital of the world. And then when I go to Nashville, I'm gonna work and I'm gonna hustle and I'm gonna figure this thing out. I am gonna network, I'm gonna get my songs to the right person. I haven't made up my songs yet or anything like that. I, I'm gonna get some people, hey, Christine, you can help me. We, we, can, we can do this thing, I'm off, I'm doing it. And I go to Nashville and I've got my music passion and I'm investing in this thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm investing in this thing hard. This is where my heart is at. But I realize that my passion isn't yet paying the bills. So I got to find something to pay the bills. So I got to go and I get to wait tables, very stereotypical of the music success story. So I'm going to wait tables at the local restaurant. And so I can do both, right? I can have my music passion. I can work hard on my, my music. And I can also make the money that I need. I can go wait my tables. Now you and I think this. We think, I can do both. But if you ever hear those who have had those music success stories, they love this and they despise this. <laughs> These are representative. This is not true. I love you both equally. Reality is, I think I can serve both of these. They are serving me. They're my employers. They're the means to my end. Music, my passion, waiting, tables, the means to be able to pay my bills. But in reality, Drew, if you go that way, and Ryan, if you go that way, here's the reality. Keep going. <laughs> They're about as far apart in reality as can be. I, I have to either serve one and if I serve one, I'm hating the other. Or, because it's got to be equal here. <laughs> I serve and I hate. See, we like to think I can do both. But the reality is, 
these two are so opposed to one another that I have to choose. And it's the same way between God and mammon. It's the same way between God and our possessions. I think I can hold both, but I can't hold both. In reality, I either love one and hate the other, despise one and embrace the other. One of the two. I can't serve both. All right. Can you give those two guys a round of applause for us? Thank you, guys. <laughs> the, you see the love between them. It's good. Thanks, guys. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying we, we can't treat God and mammon as employers, as Stott says, and have them close and use both. These are masters, and they both demand 100% allegiance. And you can't serve both. And here's the thing. I found it to be true. If I don't choose to serve God, by default, I'm serving mammon. God doesn't accept 51%. God says, Jesus says, all or nothing. And my all means that that is hated. Choose, choose who is your master. Which leads us to the last question. And that is, where is your faith placed? Jesus was the master preacher, the master teacher, the master storyteller. And he organizes all of this, I believe, intentionally because the third, or the first three set us up for the fourth. The fourth is kind of the bring it all home. Because the way we will answer the fourth is determined by how we have answered the first three. The first three, who, where is your treasure? What do you fix your eyes on? Who is your master? will ultimately determine how we answer this question, where is your faith placed? Verses 25 to 34, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Where is your faith placed? 
Is it placed in created things? What Jesus says in verse 25, what we eat and drink and wear. Life is more important than this, he says. These are the earthly treasures. These are the things of this world. These are the things that become our master. These are the things that our faith can easily be placed in by default. Or is your faith placed in your heavenly father? Our heavenly father who cares for the birds of the air. Our heavenly father who clothes the grass of the field with the lilies, which are here today, gone tomorrow, thrown in the fire and burned, these temporal things. If he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the grass, how much more will he care for you? So storing up our treasures in heaven, fixing our eyes on the things of God, serving him alone as our master, that is where Jesus calls us to. And it is the best place for us to be. Created things or our heavenly father. Where is our faith placed? All of this and how we answer these four questions bring us to the way that we live. And it's why it is important. The reason that it is important is in verses 31 and 32. Actually, 32 and th- or 31 and 32 first. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things. See, here's where Jesus brings us to. If our treasure, if our eyes are fixed, and our master has created things, what we will end up doing is living in worry. Because these created things are temporal. These created things don't make very good gods. These created things take as much as they give. These created things, like our possessions, these created things, like how do people think of us? What do people think of us? Where we find our worth, our value, our security, all of these things can be there in a moment. And so we're left with, what are the people saying? Am I answering? Am I putting out my best, um, my best image on social media? Or we're left looking at the stock market. Is my st- are stocks going well or are they going bad? We end up tracking our children to f- make sure that they are safe. Answer me as soon as you get there. Come back, as, let me know. You've got to be home by this time because, why? Because we want to not only care for them, but we want to protect them. If our value is in created things, we are left with worry. We are left with control. And what we end up doing is we act like the pagans and we run after these things. These worthless created things. We run after them. We pursue them. We live for them. They are our treasure where we fix our eyes and ultimately they are our master. We may think that we own them, but in reality, they own us. We're caught in worry, anxiety, and we run after them. Why is this important? The second part, though, 
is if our heavenly father is where our faith is placed. Our treasures are in heaven. We fix our eyes on the things of God. He is our master. Then verses 32 and 34 to 34 are true of us. Our heavenly father knows we need these, but we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting then that all these things will be given to us. All the things we need will be given to us as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If we place our faith in our Heavenly Father, the result is provision. And we are then free to seek his kingdom and his righteousness because we don't have to run, run after all the things that the pagans do. We will be free to live in relationship with our master, our heavenly father, trusting his provision. This is why it's important. All those questions lead to this one. And all those questions, how we answer them, will determine where our faith is placed. We can say, my faith is in God. But if my treasure is here on earth, if the things I fix my attention on are earthly things, if I end up serving earthly things, my faith isn't in God. My faith is in those things. The proof of where my faith is, is where my treasure is, what I fix my eyes on, and who my master is. That's what I will seek. What you seek after is how you answer this question. We had a CD that we listened to in the car a lot by Wayne Brady. He had a kid CD. It was great. And he had this song, You Are What You Eat. It was all a little hip-hop, you know, dance moves and stuff to it. You are what you eat, you are what you eat. The whole purpose was to help kids understand that if you're eating sweets and drinking soda and, you know, eating all these unhealthy things, you're going to become unhealthy. But if you're eating your fruits and your vegetables and your meats and your carbs and that's right, you are what you eat. You're going to have a better chance of being healthy. And so he would sing the song, you are what you eat, you are what you eat. And we would sing it all together as we're driving along, you are what you eat. Here, see, I'm, I'm going after this singing thing. <laughs> you are what you eat. Can I switch that just a little bit? You are what you seek. You are what you seek. What you seek determines your treasure, determines what you fix your eyes on determines your master. You are what you seek. So let me ask you this day, as we close, how do you answer those questions? Where is your treasure? What do you fix your eyes on? Who is your master? And ultimately, where is your faith placed? Jesus calls us to be countercultural kingdom people who answer in heaven. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Our master is our father. And our faith is in him and we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a, a song of response together. But I would encourage you, if the Lord has been pointing out answers to the questions of your, of these questions in your life, and they 
are more earthly than heavenly, today's the day to repent of those and to switch our allegiances. So that whatever question needs to switch, we can walk out of here saying, Lord, I'm, gonna wor- I'm still a work in progress, but I can say I'm shifting where my treasure is, what I fix my eyes on, who my master is, because ultimately I want my faith in you. And so if there are some things, the altar is always open just to be able to draw a line in the sand and say today, today, I make a switch. So the worship team comes, let me pray for us and then give you opportunity to respond to him. So Father, I thank you. Your kingdom and your kingdom's ways are best. You are good. You are exceedingly good. And so this morning, by your spirit, as we sing these songs of response, would you be free, Holy Spirit, to move amongst us, to point out any areas that will lead us to our faith being placed anywhere but in you alone. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are not a condemner or a shamer. You are a loving convictor who leads us to life. And so even in the name and the authority of Christ, we would bind the spirit of shame, the spirit of condemnation, so that we might hear only the voice of the Spirit drawing us in love to the Father. Jesus, be exalted in our lives as we seek you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.